0: Hello, and welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Sermon Series. Hola, bienvenidos a Harrisburg Hermanos en Cristo, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse urban church, sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you'll hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. let's pray.: And now, here's this week's sermon. I hope that it speaks to your heart.: Today I'm reading from Luke chapter four verses 14 through 21. It said, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing." In today's text, Jesus painted a picture of what was to come. He took that picture from the prophet Isaiah, which was given hundreds of years earlier. This was Jesus' vision statement. Proverbs tells us that without a vision, without a picture of what the future can be, organizations die, people die, nations die, hope dies, faith withers, purpose falters. We need a concrete picture to aim for as a people. We need the vividness of something in our mind's eye so that we can shoot for it. Jesus gave this picture 2,000 years ago. In approximately 20 years, he gave us a picture, a vision of what this church was supposed to do. And it has four basic parts. The first part of our vision is that as I get there, <laughs> is to provide holistic ministry for people, to meet people at their point of need. Jesus met human need when he preached the gospel. In fact, it was part of his message. Jesus healed the blind. He caused the lame to walk. He delivered people from devils. He fed the hungry. He touched the outcast. He, for, the first part of our vision is to do what Jesus modeled. Helping obvious human need. I mean this in the most biblical way, but for many, salvation is not enough. Don't get me wrong, salvation, knowing Jesus Christ, is the most important, the most wonderful, the greatest gift we can ever give anyone. But a hungry person, a starving person, needs more than Jesus. They need physical bread for their bellies too, not just living bread for their souls. An addict doesn't need just Jesus. They need to journey with someone who knows exactly what they're going through in order to heal. A person who finds Christ in prison needs a job and support from others when they get out of prison. I can't tell you how many times in 45 years of ministry I have seen people come out full of zeal for the Lord and they crashed and burned because not they had Jesus but they did not have the body of Christ around them to help them through. Only Christ can raise the dead. Remember the story of Lazarus when he said, Lazarus, come forth. And after Lazarus came out, he was covered with grave clothes that had infection and stink on them. And Jesus said to his disciples, you loose him. You set him free. You take off those grave clothes. We are called to help take off the grave clothes that can reinfect and kill the new life Jesus began only Jesus can cause people to be born again. Only Jesus can raise the dead. Only Jesus can give new life. But he expects us to help people be free of the old infected rags that bind them and will reinfect them if we don't help them take those rags off. The, uh, at this point, I, I, I want to point out uh, how we are trying to follow Jesus in this way. I want to point out the concrete ministries we have here. Part of this is because we have new people here, and they don't know this stuff. And we also have people who have been around who have lost touch with how our ministries have evolved over the years. We have five special events a year that we sponsor that are headed up by Carmen Donas. Carmen is not here now. She is she's somewhere. We have, uh, we have an Easter distribution where we give out Easter baskets to the community just to say we're here and we care. In August, we hand out backpacks and school supplies to kids who don't even have the basics of paper and pencil or calculator. At Halloween, we do meet and greet as an alternative to Halloween. We hand, you know, instead of handing out pure sugar to all these kids, we hand out health food like pizza and hot dogs. <laughs> we pray for our neighbors. It is a good way to get to know our neighbors. At Thanksgiving, we give out turkeys and and the rest of a classic Thanksgiving meal, including pumpkin or apple pie. We probably feed, we give out enough food to to feed over 1,000 people at Thanksgiving. At Christmas, we give out toys, Christmas trees, clothes, coats, toiletries, primarily to single mothers and their kids. I didn't realize how much this event meant to the community until one Christmas, it was snowing, and we got up that Saturday morning for the event, and it had already dumped six inches of snow, and the snow was still pouring down. And we seriously considered canceling the event. But we said, some people are desperate for this. Let's go. There will only be a handful of people show up, but let's go and open the church anyway. And when we got to the church, there was a line of over 100 people stretching around the corner of the church waiting on us, and everybody, or almost everybody, that had filled out a form to come to this event had showed up anyway, and we were blown away. We had no idea how much this meant. We have seasonal ministries like helping people prepare their income tax forms from January the 15th through April the 15th after one of our members of limited income paid some shyster $400 to do her taxes. She didn't get much more than that. Anyway, Alden Stowe heads that up. We got mad and said, we can do better than that. We have Celebrate Recovery that starts up again in September, headed up by Pastor Cedra for people with all kinds of addictions, not just drug and alcohol, but all kinds of addictions. Lynn Taylor heads up Girls Who Code, whatever that is. I support it. <laughs> Sounds like a CIA operation to me. If, if the Russian infrastructure fails, we'll have to, I have to talk to Lynn. Anyway... It helps young girls gain computer skills. I read it in the bulletin this morning. I'm thinking of putting on a wig and joining the class. (laughs) Elias Joseph heads up our financial money management class, which helps people use their resources wisely, especially if their resources are limited. We have a food pantry, which distributes food, including fresh vegetables and fruits, to dozens and dozens of families throughout the year in this area. It is headed up by Nancy Bush, Nancy Benson, Nancy Patrick, and Nancy Payne gives some help. If your name is Nancy, you are assigned to the food pantry. We are also partnering with Mission of Mercy, which is a nonprofit Christian mobile medical clinic. This clinic offers free examinations to people, free treatment to people, free prescription medicines to people, free dental care to people. If a person has cancer or some disease that needs special treatment, Mission of Mercy can often get that person to a clinic or a specialist to be treated for free. They treat hundreds of people throughout the year, mainly the working poor or immigrants who cannot afford health insurance but make too much to get free health care. And nine months a year, we run English as a second language on Wednesday nights. We have lately been working with people from Peru and with Muslims. Friendships are being formed from these classes. One night, John Hallbecker was meeting with a large Muslim family. There were about 50 of them there. And the head of the family stood in the center with John and said, this man is our friend, this man is our spiritual father. I can't wait to see what Jesus does with that in the days to come. Pray for the spirit to do only what the spirit can do. This is what we do now. And over the course of the year, these ministries touch thousands of people's lives. Praise God. You are invited to participate in these ministries. You can call me or Sheila or Pastor Linda or Pastor Hank or, you know, to, to see how can I participate in these events and in these ministries. The other thing I, I want to say, too, and it's the second part of this, they kind of go, they're joined at the hip. The second part of our vision is to partner with other churches or organizations to serve our congregation and neighborhood and city. What God has called us to do is bigger than we are. We need to partner with others to do what God is calling us to do. So we do. We have partnered with the Marines with Toys for Tots. How about that? Pacifists and Marines side by side. We, our food pantry primarily is supplied by the Pennsylvania Food Bank. We are a part of all kinds of ministries with all kinds of groups. And by the way, there's all kinds of people in this church who do all kinds of ministries in the community, too. Paxton Ministries and, and, and Christian Churches United and all, all kinds of people do stuff. And we combine, we, we, we partner with other churches. We all we believe that the body of Christ. Get this, we believe the body of Christ ought to work together. How about that? The devil keeps us separated and fighting with each other. But God calls us to help, and he calls us to be one while we're doing it. We are called to root for each other, to pray for each other. We should rejoice when another church in Harrisburg is doing great. We are on the same team. It's time we act like it, don't you think? And then the third part of our vision is that we feel called to worship, serve, witness, and make disciples in the city of Harrisburg in the name of Christ. We are intentionally a city church. I remember almost 20 years ago we were praying, God, do we get in or do we get out? And God said, you're getting in deeper than you dream. Part of the reason for this is because the New Testament church was city-focused. Let me remind you that Jesus was born in a little backwoods town called Bethlehem. And he grew up in another small town called Nazareth. And he loved them both and the people of both. But it says that in the last days of Jesus' life, he set his face towards Jerusalem, the largest city of Israel, the home of Solomon's temple, the capital of the nation, the center of everything that was Israel. What Jesus knew was that if he was going to start a global movement, a new kingdom, it needed to happen in an urban center, not out in the desert somewhere. Because cities are centers of culture. They are centers of education, centers of communication, centers of influence, economic centers. Jesus chose purposely to challenge the powers that be in the city of Jerusalem. He chose to engage in theological debate at its highest level in the city of Jerusalem. He shook the establishment. And where did he do it? When he cleansed the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus was celebrated in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He was tried in Jerusalem. He was crucified in Jerusalem. And he rose from the dead on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Why? Because he wanted Israel and the world to know what God had done and was doing through him. Jesus knew if Jerusalem was shaken by his life and death and resurrection and his message, all of Israel would soon hear about it if it was done in Jerusalem. Christianity itself moved from city to city. If you read the book of Acts, if you read church history, it went from Jerusalem And after they were persecuted in Jerusalem, they all ran over to Damascus. And there's where Paul started persecuting them. And then they ran to Antioch. And there in Antioch was where the first missionaries were sent out from. And it was a church of Jew and Gentile and Greek. It was a church of black and white and Semite. It was this this beautiful tapestry of people there in Antioch. And from there they went into the cities in Asia Minor and into the Greek world at Corinth and Philippi and other places, and then they went to Rome itself, the capital of the world. Remember, the two greatest apostles, Peter and Paul, where did they die? They died in Rome. They died sharing the gospel in the capital of the world because they knew if the gospel took hold in Rome, it would go everywhere. We should not... Forget that the book of Revelation was written to the churches located in the major cities of Galatia or Asia Minor. Laodicea, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Ephesus, and others were the large center cities in what we now call Turkey. The Holy Spirit did not send Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Timothy to focus on rural areas, although people in rural areas deserve the gospel too. He sent them into urban centers to witness and to debate with the great minds and religions of the world. Because the Spirit knew if the cities were one to Christ, the word would spread from them to everywhere. Remember in Acts chapter 19, verse 10? It says that Paul debated in the synagogues for two years in Ephesus. And he performed great miracles in Ephesus. And I love what it says. It says, as a result, all the Jews and Greeks who lived In Asia Minor, heard the word of the Lord. Please get this. Paul, all of Asia Minor heard the word of the Lord because of what Paul did in Ephesus. Paul never left Ephesus, and yet the word spread all over Asia Minor. Win the cities, win the world. And so, we have to take the city seriously ourselves. If we lose the cities, the world will go down with them. If the, we win the cities, the gospel will spread. In the 1960s, a great tragedy befell the church in North America. The white evangelical church abandoned the cities of this nation. While evangelicals fled to the cities and headed to the suburbs, they took the church with them. And, of course, the African American and Hispanic churches stayed in the cities because they, couldn't, they weren't allowed to move to the suburbs. And so... What we had is that our cities began to, de- to decay. If you ignore the cities, you are ignoring what's coming your way. Remember, I remember, some, most of you are too young to remember, but I and, and, and old people like Buck remember this. I remember when gun violence was almost entirely an inner city problem. Guess where it is now? Because we ran from the cities. I remember when pornography, not from personal experience, but I remember hearing about pornography, when the only place you could find pornography in the the 50s and the early 60s was in some shady place in a inner city. Where is pornography now? I remember when drugs were found only in large cities. Where can you find drugs now? We all, even if we don't live in a city, have an investment in the city, whether we know it or not. And please hear me on this. It's okay to live where you live, even if you don't live in Harrisburg. It's not a sin to not live in Harrisburg. But we had all better care about what happens in Harrisburg. Because Harrisburg will influence sooner and later what happens where you live, what affects your children, what goes on in your schools and your neighborhoods we abandon the cities, guess what? The cities, whatever's in the cities will come after us. Cities are centers of influence and we ignore them at our own risk no matter where we live. You don't have to live in Harrisburg to care about Harrisburg and minister here. We need you. We need all the help we can get. I don't care if you're from Perry County, come on down. I don't care if you're from Grantham, come on in. I don't care if you're from Boiling Springs, Come and boil here. We don't care. Everyone is welcome. But we must, if the church doesn't take a stand in the city, the city's coming after us. Amen? And the final part of our vision the first part was holistic ministry. The second part is partnering with other ministries to get holistic ministry done. The third part is that we're intentionally urban. And the fourth part is this. As soon as I can find it, <laughs> I I wrote all. Of, if you saw my notes, you would say it is a miracle this guy can preach. Ah, here it is. The last part of our vision is to model and teach racial reconciliation. When it comes to diversity, the history of this country is not pretty. Things have gotten better, but racism, I find, is the wound that just never heals. You see it every week on the news. You see it all through the talk shows. It, is, it just keeps bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. And here's the sad part. Every major organization or institution is far ahead of the church of Jesus Christ when it comes to inclusion and the tragedy is that we have so much more to offer in this area than the American government, or the state of Pennsylvania, or Dolphin County, or some university. They can only teach or force integration. The problem with integration is that you can have a fully integrated room full of people, and those people still don't know he, who each others are, or care for each other. In fact, you can have a room fully integrated with people who want nothing to do with each other. They're just obeying the law. They're just doing what they have to do to get by. But people's hearts still remain untouched or can remain untouched in integration. The politicians of this world can do some things that are very important, but they're not going to fix what is a profoundly spiritual problem. Governments can legislate justice, and they should but they cannot legislate away hatred. They can legislate good laws, but they cannot legislate love. They can deal with the symptoms of racism, but they cannot cure its cause. To be honest, I am more concerned about how evangelicals quietly tolerate racism and have for decades than I am about what the government does or doesn't do or any political party. I truly believe this country doesn't change until the church changes and faces its role in the divisions that exist in this nation and quit quietly condoning what's going on. Send your emails to Linda after that (laughs) On April the 9th, 1906, in the city of Los Angeles, something astounding happened a revival broke out, a revival that is still resonating more than any revival in history right now globally. The revival was called the Azusa Street Revival. That's where it started, on that street. And it was led by an African-American man named William Seymour. William Seymour was born in Louisiana, and he migrated to California to get away from the KKK. And one night, when this revival broke loose, here's what happened to William Seymour. He said, a sphere of white-hot brilliance seemed to appear, draw near, and fall upon him. Divine love melted his heart. Does that sound familiar, John Hallbecker? He sank to the floor, seemingly unconscious. Words of deep healing and encouragement spoke to him. And from a great distance, he heard unutterable words being uttered. It was an angelic adoration and praise. And slowly he realized the indescribably lovely language belonged to him, pouring out from his innermost being. A broad smile wreathed his face. At last, as he arose, he embraced those around him. William Seymour had been filled with the Holy Spirit, Within days, this jubilant, ragtag group was joined by huge crowds of black and white, and they quickly outgrew the building they were in. The crowds continued to throng. A surge of interest brought huge crowds from virtually, and this was unknown at the time, virtually every race, nationality, and social class to Seymour's congregation. White people sitting under a black pastor. The power of the Spirit created a revolutionary new type of Christian community. As Frank Bartleman, a journalist who chronicled the events, exclaimed, he said, the color line was washed away in the blood. Hallelujah. In the very first issue of the Apostolic Faith, that was the magazine Seymour started, Seymour stated, multitudes have come. God makes no difference in nationality. Ethiopians, Chinese, Indians, Mexicans, and other nationalities are worshiping together. Three months later, in December 1906, he wrote, The people are all melted together, made one lump, one bread, one all one body in Jesus Christ. There is no Jew or Gentile, bond or free in the Azusa Street Mission. He is no respecter of persons or places. In those early years, white leaders, and here's, you want to hear the real miracle of the Azusa Street Revival? In those early years, white leaders came in large numbers, repenting of their racial attitudes and working alongside Seymour. Hallelujah. Never in history had such leadership surged into the church of a black pastor. And, he, and, and, and one writer said, that was even more than tongues or glossolalia or healings. That was the real miracle. It was the interracial miracle of Azusa Street. In the Apostolic Faith Magazine article, Seymour noted, he said, no instrument that God can use is rejected on account of color or dress or lack of education. This is why God has built up the work. This openness, by the way, extended not only through class and race and ethnicity, it included women. Most of the most powerful leaders flowing out of the Azusa Mission were women. Women by the score would arm themselves with Bibles and anointing oil and walk from house to house looking for people in need. If they found any who were sick, they would anoint them and pray. They would volunteer their services in the name of Jesus, cleaning strangers' houses, doing dishes, or caring for their children. There's the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Seymour said, on the day of Pentecost, they preached through the power of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus is there, and he is neither male nor female. All are one. And finally, Seymour stressed genuine Christian love above all else. This was more important to him than tongues. He wrote, the Pentecostal power, when you sum it up, it's just more of God's love. If it does not bring more of God's love, it is simply counterfeit. He said, tongues are not the real evidence of the baptism in everyday life. If you get angry, if you speak evil, if you backbite, if you are angry, I care not how many tongues you have, you do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I like that. The Pentecostal movement, and trust me, I'm not trying to turn this church into a Pentecostal church. I got a little of it in me. I used to be a Pentecostal preacher, but I'm not not going to inflict it on you. But the biggest, fastest, most vital movement of Christianity on the globe is the Pentecostal slash charismatic movement. They are at 600 million and counting. The world is on fire in Central America, South America, Africa, Asia, because of this. And again, I want to emphasize what this really means. It really means that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit prejudice is driven out when you are filled with the Holy Spirit sexism is put on the shelf because God can use anybody and everybody when you are filled with the Holy Spirit it doesn't matter how much money you have God uses everybody he is no respecter of persons when you are filled with the Holy Spirit love pours through you into the world that is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit We can do so much better than integration. We are called to reconciliation. We can help people get to know each other. We can join, uh, form fellowships with people different than ourselves and form friendships with people different than ourselves. We can be knit together by the Holy Spirit in love. There is no government agency that can do what the church can do. The Church of Jesus Christ in North America should be leading the way in dismantling racism. And the truth is, and we have the truth is we have more to offer than any other institution in America and we're lagging behind. God help us. God have mercy on us. We are here to be a part of what God is trying to do to reconcile us all in the spirit Under the headship of Jesus Christ, we are a part of a new kingdom that is called to reflect heaven, a place where people from every nation and tribe and tongue and ethnic group worship the Lamb that was slain together. We might as well start doing it here because we're sure going to be doing it for eternity. We are called to be healers. The government cannot be healers. We can be. We are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Politics will never be ambassadors of reconciliation. We have in our congregation, I think the last time Pastor Linda counted, I think we have at least 20 different nationalities or ethnic groups. We have white. If you are white, will you sit there? Thank you. (laughs) We have white. We have African American. We have people from India. We have British Guyanese. We have an Egyptian. We have Puerto Ricans. We have an, a Liberian on our staff. We have Ugandan. We have Kenyan. We have a person from, from Ghana. We have a Haitian. We have Mexicans. We even have people from Canada. Is that, that's not how you pronounce that? Oh, okay. I heard they're building a wall. Anyway, I want you to know something. I want you to know something. I have the privilege, and the staff has the privilege, every Sunday, at looking at one of the most beautiful sights in this area. We get to look at you on Sunday morning. And our diversity doesn't end with ethnicity and race. There's a huge socioeconomic spread in this church, a huge one. There's a large educational spread in this church, and it's huge we have very little homogeneity to fall back on only the holy spirit could create this and only jesus is holding us together because there's no other reason we have no fallback position if we can't get along because of jesus there's there's just no other things that draw us together flesh cannot help what's going on here god helped his church to rise and you know, one of the things that's starting to encourage me is that in, later in September, Hank and I will be leading uh, a church at Camp Hebron on how do they become diverse, how do they, they become multi-ethnic. And it will be the 11th church or organization that has reached out to us. It, actually, even one Brethren in Christ Church asked for our help on how to be one. We're Yay, we broke through. <laughs> We broke through. I may have to put on my dancing shoes. But I do want to say that (laughs) this is the work of the Spirit. And I believe the Spirit did not want what we're talking about here today limited only to Harrisburg Brethren in Christ. I'd like to see this spread through the Brethren in Christ. I'd like to see this spread through Harrisburg. I'd like to see it get going. You know, only 3.5% of all churches in North America are intentionally diverse, only 3.5%. There's some work to do. I believe if the church in North America really, really, really did what happened on the day of Pentecost, where everybody from the world got together and praised God, or what happened at Azusa Street, I believe if that happened, things will take care of themselves as Christians stop being afraid of each other. Woo! <laughs> we are at a juncture. We are at a juncture in this church. Uh, you may not have noticed, but there's some transitioning going on. They're getting rid of some of the old stuff and bringing in some new stuff. And. We want you to pray, you know, in, 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 in the fall. The church board on September the 16th is having a church board retreat to try to discern where God is, is leading us through this transition. We're not changing the vision. We believe God has given us that vision. But what we are going to do is we want to discern the will of God for the transition and discern the will of God of how we go deeper into that vision What does it look like when Pastor Hank takes over? What does it look like as we continue to move forward? We want God to guide us. 20 years ago, or almost 20 years ago, our church was at a crossroads. And we didn't know whether to get in or get out. And I asked the church, I said, Would you pray for a year? Let's pray and we prayed for a year and God dramatically guided us. He guided us. We are here today looking like we look today because God guided us almost 20 years ago in very concrete ways. It is time to do it again. It is time to seek the face of God again. It is time to say, "Lord, help us through the rough waters of transition and take us where exactly where you want us to go in the city of Harrisburg." And ministering to the larger body of Christ for the next generation. Will you pray? Will you pray with us? Not just for that retreat, but will you pray until we hear from God, until it becomes clear again from God? It is is one of those moments, one of those seminal moments, where we have to say, Lord, we are in your hands. You have given us a vision. Take us where you want us to go now. Amen? I am done with this sermon. Thank goodness I was... There were several times I was hopelessly lost and the, Jesus got me through. Okay. But let's, let's pray. And you know what I want us to do before we call anybody up to the altar or anything? I'd like you to just stand. Would you please stand? And even if you have to go across the aisles, I would, I would like you to hold people, somebody hold hands. As a sign of unity that we're going to pray together for God to take us where he needs us to go. And to guide this church where it needs to go. Okay. Some of you will actually have to move. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are yours. We praise you for what you've done in us and through us and to us. Lord, we, I, I personally am amazed to be where I am now looking at what I'm looking at now. This is your work. This is your handiwork. This is your power. And so, Lord, now we, we reopen our hearts and minds again for you to lead us. Lord, we are sure that there are doors that are open and doors that are closed in the city of Harrisburg. Would you show us which doorknobs to rattle? We are sure that there are ministries you may want us to ease up on or let go, and new ministries to undertake. Will you show us those ministries? And above all, Lord Jesus, fill us with the power of your Spirit, not only to discern your will, but to carry it out. Fill us with your power to love like you love, the love that tears down all walls, the love that joins and reconciles us all together. Take the love of heaven and pour it into our hearts this morning, Lord Jesus, we pray. We do pray, Lord Jesus, that you use us and guide us and empower us to bring in the kingdom of God in ways that we do not expect, ways that we do not see coming, and yet, It will change us again forever. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Lead us, risen Christ. Show us the way, Heavenly Father. Take us to that place and begin with our hearts, each individual heart. Lord, it's easy to get in a rut. It's easy to get in a groove. It's easy to quit expecting new things or quit expecting you to move. Fill us again. Show us, saturate us with your love until it cannot be contained, until it cannot be contained and it spills into the streets of Harrisburg, into our neighborhoods, into our relationships. Fill us again with your spirit, Lord Jesus. In your name we ask it and God's people say amen Amen and amen. You may... uh,